Happy New Year. Are y'all here? Thank you. What, what I was noticing is uh, starting off this new year, there's been a lot of people that have shifted around their seatings. Uh, so, Kings, are y'all all right this morning? Just checking on you. When you, when you don't sit in your normal spot, it can be, feel a little awkward. You okay? You're making it. Okay. He's struggling. Eric's telling on you. Um, well, Eric, they forced you guys up a row. Yeah. So, are y'all all right? Okay. Tedus? <laughs> I'm like, Jennifer and Frank walked in. I, was, I watched her, and she goes, nope, I want to be straight on. I was like, not in the front. I'm, I'm, I'm like, this is, this is weird for me. See, because all the perspectives change. You know, Ryan's thanks for continuing to be back row Baptist. Okay. Um, no, it's, in, in all seriousness, it's great to see everybody here this morning. Uh, especially if you're on Facebook, we want to encourage you uh, to continue that habit. We know that the COVID numbers have been rising. Uh, we we want to do this uh, as consistently as we can to, to make sure that everyone's comfortable. But we are excited that you guys are also here on campus willing to be here. Um, and uh, it's, it's important, I think, for the church to recognize uh, that, that we are called to fellowship and we are uh, making the most of the opportunities that we have together. So it's, it's uh, one of those things, we have a lot of space in our, uh, this room still uh, that if we need to continue to spread out because we're seeing more and more people come on campus, we can accommodate that and we can always make plans to do other things if, with uh, um, some of the major or bigger rooms that we have on campus. So uh, just know we will make arrangements to have as many people on campus as we can because we think that's a, a healthy thing for us. Um, we are going to be back in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, so I am thoroughly excited about this. And uh, if you remember, we finished up in Matthew chapter 10 uh, back in 2020, or I, maybe as, as far back as 2019, I didn't even look at the date. Um, but it's it, where we were, Jesus had just sent out his disciples to go into the, the towns and do ministry. And we talked about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, that followers don't just follow, but they also go. Uh, that, that Jesus has called us to be ministers in this world, that we don't just build it and, and trust they will come, but Christ commanded us to be people that as we follow him, that we would go and be influencers in our culture and context. And I especially uh, had this on my mind recently because of the, the, the issues with uh, COVID. You can't just sit easily in a coffee bar um, or coffee shop and um, have conversations with anybody anymore. You, you can't go down you know, to, to some restaurant and, and just build a relationship very easily because there's so many boundaries and everybody's nervous about those things. So I want us as a church to be praying about how we will intentionalize new relationships this year with folks. Uh, because I, I am still convinced of this, that people are longing for the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are carrying, we are torchbearers carrying the light of Christ into a dark world. And I think it's only grown darker because people have, have been removed from healthy relationships. And we've watched statistics over the course of this year rise about anxiety and depression and loneliness. 
Folks, we have the answer to those things in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've got to be people that are prayerful and intentional about reaching out. So let us not leave behind that message uh, of uh, Matthew 10 as Jesus sent his disciples out to, to be those who went into the towns. We need to continue to, to model that. And, and here's the, where we're going to be moving into the text for today. And I want to introduce the topic in this way. And we're going to cover Jesus, uh, the... the um, the uh, portraits, we're going to give four portraits of Jesus over the next four weeks, as Jesus is the one who overcomes doubts. And, and I don't know if, if you're like me, uh, but, but doubt comes in to my life. Uh, I, I often will understand and watch things happen, and I begin to doubt uh, my faith, the, the, the how we are operating together in leadership, how we're operating as a body, how Christ is going to meet those needs. That can be a result of finances. It can be a result of commitment. There's all sorts of things that would leave me to a place uh, where I might doubt. And, and especially in the, the culture and, and climate of things with COVID-19, that, that's cast a huge shadow of doubt upon our nation, upon the world. And specifically, I think even as a church, it's cast doubt upon us. But I know this, Jesus overcomes doubt. And so I want to, to look at these four portraits of Christ over the next several weeks and help all of us as we uh, wrestle with doubt to make sure that we learn and practice how to overcome it properly. So I, as I was studying, I came across this statement by Alistair McGrath. And I think this is a good place for us to begin with this concept of doubt. He says this, doubt is natural within faith. That, that made me pause when I read that. I'm going to finish this quote in just a minute. When, when I think about doubt being natural within faith, it, 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 it kind of relieves a little sense of guilt that, that doubt, when, I, when I have doubt because it's natural. It, it's not something that, that means I'm in a, a point of failure or that I'm wrong for having it, it indicates that there's some things that need to change, but doubt does not mean I'm ruined, I'm shipwrecked, I'm, I'm you know, beyond repair. He says it, be, it comes, he, so he says it's natural within our faith, and it comes because of our human weakness and frailty. And so, so the truth is, doubt is a good barometer of, of something that, that indicates that something needs to change. That, that we have a weakness or frailty in us that the Lord can overcome. And we, we need to respond rightly to Him so that our weakness and frailty are matched by His omnip omnipotence and His omniscience and His grace and His mercy. And, and when we find those things in Him, that strengthening of our faith is what will help us to, to be, one, encouraged in our walk with Him, and two, I think, empowered to, to minister to others. So let me give you another little hint about doubt, and I think this is also encouraging. Do you realize that doubt is a unique problem for, for believers only? Doubt, is, it, it can only be for us as Christians. And, and let me qualify that. You might say, well, well non-believers... They, they have doubts. Well, yeah, they have doubts, but not in terms of faith. The truth is, if they're not a follower of Christ, they just have disbelief. They, they don't actually have a place to, to have their faith founded on. So there's really not room for doubt for them. It's just simply disbelief. And so believers, hear me. Let, be encouraged by this. 
if you're doubting, it's a sign of your faith. Yes, it's also a sign of weakness and frailty, but be encouraged. It it means that the Lord is trying to to tap on you. The Holy Spirit is trying to bring you to a point to be encouraged in your walk with Christ. Not to to settle in that doubt, but to to recognize that He is doing a work, pointing out those things in you that need refinement and sanctification. So the, the other piece of good news that I would give us as believers is this. Jesus dealt with people that had doubts. And when he did it, he showed great patience, compassion, mercy. He, he was gentle in that. He, he didn't really walk through those folks with doubt in a, in a manner of rebuke. And, and I think that's a good thing for me. Because I think my tendency, especially early on in my faith, what, was to think the, that when I doubted, that there was condemnation for that doubt. Is anybody else related to, to that? Yeah. But, but that's not the truth of Scripture, is it? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, even when we doubt. That, that's good news. And so this morning, we're going to begin by looking at this portrait of Christ in his relationship with John the Baptist. And we're going to see how uh, Jesus returns a, a, uh, an, an understanding that, that when we walk through these things rightly, hear the promises that faith is strengthened, joy is returned, and there's a confidence in our faith so that we can tackle the heaviness of doubt and the insecurity so that we can be effective in our lives for Christ. Okay? So this first portrait this morning is of Jesus as the promised Messiah. And, and don't think that that, because we go, oh, yeah, yeah, we're just coming off of Christmas. We know that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That is actually a very profound statement that Jesus acknowledges about himself through this text in Matthew chapter 11 with John the Baptist, that he is highlighting himself as the one who came and fulfilled all these things. Now, if you remember back to the earlier uh, lessons on the, the gospel of Matthew, we talked uh, at length about how he uses the word fulfill. I even used that word on Christmas, well, before Christmas, but with the, the children up here, how I talked about that, that idea of fulfill, that Jesus has come and he's fulfilled the promises. Now, Matthew doesn't use that word in the text today, but Jesus, in, in all these statements, it's what he's pointing to. He is the fulfillment of the Scriptures, that the promises and the prophecies of Scripture, the the things that occurred in the Old Testament, those things are coming to fruition in Christ. And that should establish a foundation for us to find confidence in Him. So when we we begin to to read this, I want to go back to a little bit of of context of the Scripture. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, uh, Matthew had reported that John the Baptist had been arrested. Okay, And so he's been in prison for some kind of season. We don't exactly know the, the entire time length, but for some season of his life, he's, he's been in, in prison and struggling about the context of, of watching Jesus from a distance, wondering exactly what's happening in, in the, the world with Jesus, okay? So let's, first of all then, I want to read the text, and then we're going to look at the skeleton of doubt, okay? Matthew 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. By, by the way, let me add a little caveat to this. Um, little hints of things that I, I discover in studying. Jesus had just sent the 12 out and, and others out, okay? 
He's sent them to be in the towns. He is by himself in this moment. So most scholars, and I agree, um, they, they believe that Jesus is now ministering in the cities of Galilee on his own. Okay? He's not got this same entourage of his disciples and, and close followers with him. Okay? And I, I think that's important on a couple levels that we'll get into through the rest of the series here. Okay? Verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? You, you hear John's doubt? Are you the one? Are you the one who's to come? Are, are, are we supposed to look for another? I'm, I'm in prison, and, and I'm struggling with this, okay? And I'm going to come back to that in, in just a minute. But let's, let's read verse 4 and hear Jesus' response. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in, the king's, are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Now, I want to begin this, this morning by talking and teaching about the skeleton of doubt. Um, I, th I think that, that and, and I'm going to kind of use that term skeletons in this, this kind of context of, you think about skeletons in your closets, those things that we don't want to bring out. I think most of us, we would say as believers, we, we don't want to admit and, and confess that we have doubt. So we kind of tuck those things away. But the truth is, they, they have no bearing on us. They, they really don't have a weight that, that it should be significant other than to help us know, hey, we need to deal with this and get it corrected, okay? So the first, uh, I think, key of, uh, of doubt is this. Doubt often arises during difficult uh, uh, situations or circumstances. When you think about John the Baptist here, let me paint a little context for you. When you think about John the Baptist growing up as a young boy, under the care of Zechariah and Elizabeth. How do you think that they told him stories about his, uh, his birth and, and Christ, the Messiah, and all the things that happened? Don't, don't we tell those things in our own lives? I, I, and I know this is not biblical, okay? But, but at the same time, I think it's human nature, and it's right for us to use a sanctified imagination to say these are probably things that happened. So as John's growing up, hey, let me tell you about the, the, your birth, John, 
coming from Zechariah. I remember serving in the temple when I, when I found out that your mom was going to be pregnant because we were old, and, and it was, it was, we, we thought we were past childbearing years. But the, this angel appeared to me as I'm serving in the temple, and, and he says that we're going to get pregnant, and I laughed. And then I was mute and deaf for nine months until you were born. <laughs> that, that's a story that he most, John the Baptist most likely heard. And then Elizabeth's talking about, hey, I, I remember being pregnant with you. And uh, my cousin Mary comes in to visit, and all of a sudden, you leap in my belly something amazing. It was not like a usual little kick, but it was something uh, amazing because Mary was pregnant with the Messiah. And we know, John, that your role in history is to be a prophet that tells about the coming Messiah. And John is raised like this. I, I don't think, we don't see it in Scripture, but I can't help but think those are details of the story of his life over and over and over again as he's growing and maturing. I even think at some level, can't prove it, I get it, but I imagine at some level there's some kind of family reunion because Jewish families got together a bunch, and I would imagine that two boys a little less than eight, uh, nine months apart uh, are hanging out, Jesus and John the Baptist. And there's probably some kind of conversation between the two of these guys about what is going to happen as they reach adulthood and, and when the Lord calls Jesus to ministry. Yet what happened in John the Baptist's life? He gets arrested, and he is looking, because he knows the Scriptures, he's looking for what kind of Messiah? A Messiah that would set him free from prison, that would come in and he would, he would take over the rule and the king, kingdom of the earth. He, John the Baptist doesn't really recognize that it's a heavenly kingdom. So his circumstances have become very difficult for him, and he's longing for Jesus to do something different than just minister to the blind and the poor and the lepers and those that need healing and those that need a message about the hope that, that sin can be overcome. John is looking for something totally different, and that's why Jesus responds the way he does, and we're going to get to that in a minute. So remember, doubt is often a result of difficult circumstances. Doubt also often arises because of unmet expectations. You hear the same thing in that account of John the Baptist. His expectation is what? Jesus is going to come in as this powerful king and set his rule up. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus is being followed by who? Sinners and tax collectors, a bunch of fishermen. You know, what kind of army is he establishing to take over the Roman culture and, and the Roman rule? It's not much of one, and I guarantee you, John the Baptist's expectations were not being met. How many times do we have expectations that are not met that lead us to doubt? Now, the third uh, type of um, cause of doubt is this. I think it's about that limited, a limited perception that oftentimes we have a limited perception about things. And we, so we, we think we know so much. In actuality, we only know so little. And because our perception is limited, we don't understand really what God's at work doing. Because if John knew the whole scope of what Jesus' ministry would be about, what would he have done? I think he would have rested in the truth of what Jesus' ministry was about, and he would have come back and he would have said, oh, I get it, I get it. I, I see clearly 
My perception is no longer limited by the earthly circumstances and situation and my expectations. I see clearly from the Lord's perception what is being done. Now, I want to pause there for just a minute. We're going to come back and look at how Jesus meets these uh, three skeletons of doubt. But before we address those, I want to invite all the children to come up. Maya, are you teaching this morning? Where, where did Maya go? There she is. She's in a hat. I thought you were Steve for a second. Buddy, come on, follow me. Let's go. It's time for our Bible story. I can't wait. Come on, everybody. We are in the water, so I hope you're good swimmers. All right. We need some more fish here because it's not enough. All right. All right. There you go. Come on, everybody. Older sisters and brothers are welcome, too. We need a big, nice crowd here in the water. All right. I'm getting started while you guys are coming because we don't have that much time, and I can't wait to get through the whole story. Okay. Raise your hand if you have gone fishing some before. Yes? All right. Ooh, we have a couple. Nod your head if you actually caught some fish. All right. Well, really? That's not easy. I'm so proud of you. I know it's not easy. I never. I don't have patience. But here we go. So I brought my fishing pole today because in our Bible story, we're going to talk about four fishermen and their friends of Jesus. And I also brought, just a second here. Okay, I also brought three questions. One is easy, one a little harder, and then question number three is going to be even harder. But that's okay, we'll answer together. All right. Well, now, one interesting thing about this story is that, uh, you know, they, the fishermen exactly weren't catching with this fish with this type of, you know, fishing rods. This is question number one. How do you think that back in history, back in Bible time, the people caught fish with the fishing? They, fish, they used a net, exactly, exactly. They were using this type of net. They would drop it over the side of the boat, and then we'll pull it back, and then they'll take whatever fish they caught, maybe a little bit, maybe a lot. But one very, very interesting thing is that Jesus taught them how to be fishers of... Wait, I think I'm catching something here. Jesus taught them how to be fishers of, fishers of, oh my God. <laughs> okay. All right. I think we need to talk about this in a minute. I'm going to leave this here for a second. We gotta, let's jump into the story so we can talk about this guy in a minute. All right. The story of today takes place in the Bible, in the Gospel of Matthew. So we celebrated Christmas a couple of days ago because that was the birth of baby Jesus. And then baby Jesus became older like Oliver. And then he became older like Jensen. And then he was a young man and then he needed helpers. I'm also going to need four helpers today. Number one is Jovi because I've talked to her. Oliver two. Okay, so we have Jovi one, Jensen two, Oliver three. Which one are you? Royal. <laughs> Where's Preston? Over there. Okay, good. And Royal is number four. I'll let you know what we're going to do. So, Jesus was walking by the sea, and then he saw boats. Let's use our imagination. We all, we're all in the water. There's fish all around. And the little carpet squares you're on, the, that, those are boats. And there's wind and also waves that were pushing us to the side. Shh, to the side. Shh. Come on, guys, we're in the water. There you go. Awesome. 
So as Jesus was walking by the seashore, he saw two men. Well, Jovi is a girl, but she's going to be a man for this one. And then she and Jesus looked at them and he said, Come, follow me, and I will make you fisher of men. Now, when Jesus talks, this is very important. So let's repeat it. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's exactly right. Well, guess what they did? Their names were Andrew and Simon Peter. They dropped exactly what they were doing, like Jovi's going to have to drop exactly what she's doing right now. And then they got out of the boat, and they followed Jesus. So you guys sit right here next to me. Oh, yeah. You. They got out of the boat. Not in this story, buddy, but in a story. There you go. So, yeah, they followed Jesus out of the boat, not in the water. And then Jesus went to a different boat. And then he saw two other brothers there. Their names were James and John. And then he said the same thing. Remember what that was? Let's go. Come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. You know, they were not actually fishing at this point. They were fixing their net because it hit a hole. And they had to fix it because otherwise the fish is going to swim away when it's caught. So they came out of their boats and they came out of the water and they came over here where it says those names. Awesome. Wow. You know what? These were the first helpers of Jesus. Very important moment in history, in the life of Jesus. You know, disciples mean, so let's count them. Let's go. One, and then two, and then three, and then four. You guys have to be extra good right now. Those were Jesus' followers. They went everywhere Jesus went, and they did exactly what Jesus did, and they loved Jesus, and they obeyed. They did everything that Jesus did. Now, here comes question two for everyone. God calls us to be his followers too. We also can be his followers. But you know, back then, when Jesus was on earth in a human body, they just went with him. But then Jesus died on the cross. And then after three days, he came back to life. And he resurrected him. He went up in heaven with God, and he's with us too, but not in the same human body. Whoa, how can we follow our Lord, whom we cannot see with our eyes? Can you have ideas? How can we be followers of Jesus? Any thoughts? How can we be Christian? What do we do? We read the Bible very good. We read God's word or we listen to stories when we come. That's a good example. Jensen, you wanted to say something? No? Okay. Yeah. We, what else can we do when we read the Bible and about Jesus? We love Jesus. And then we do what Jesus says because we want to be good followers. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, helpers. Now you can go back to your boat because we need to deal with a buddy over here. What about this guy? So Jesus said, let's do say it together. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, let's do it again. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I honestly don't think Jesus meant this. I'm just being silly because I want to put a smile on your face. But let's be serious here for a moment. And here comes question number three. How can be fishers of men? What does that mean? Let's think together on what on Jesus' words. Any thoughts? What could, if you don't have a thought, it's okay. Well, I'll help you out. But how can you be fishers of men? You fish for men? I don't know. 
take that royal, you share it, you go and you talk to other people. Now here, I have a little example. How many people do you see? How many people? One. But if you open it up, it's four. That's, these represent the first four helpers of Jesus. Jesus started with one, but then they were four. And then they went and shared about, all about Jesus with other people. And they shared with others how to be part of God's family. And we can now be added to those numbers. And we can go and share the word with others. This is what it means. Not Miss Maya, silly puppet here. Well, guys, you know what? This is going to be one of our crafts. And now you can draw some hair and some clothes and some huge smiles because they were really excited to be followers of Jesus. But that's not the end of it. What are we going to do with that fish all around there? Look, I brought some little tiny nets for everyone. And I want everybody to catch at least one fish. And then I want you to look at me. Now, Jason, could you please uh, make sure everybody has one? And Joby as well. Then once you get it, I want you to pick one or two fish. Uh, fish is not right. So just one. Just fish. You say no plural of fish. Why? Okay. There you go. You guys get some, and you can get some fish. There you go. Let's make sure every kid has fish. Yeah, use your... Don't be so smart. <laughs> Those are fish, because Miss Maya said so. <laughs> all right. Go make them. Yeah, they, they're whales, and Joby noticed. <laughs> all right, guys, do it. Now, once you have it, thank you so much, Hanson. Does everybody... Not bad. Does everybody have at least one fish in their net? One, yeah, you can pick, your, pick, pick one or two with your hand and put it right inside. We do it just like Jesus' disciples did. Good job. You know why we did that? Because, so you know how it feels. I mean, they didn't exactly pick it with their hands, but use your imagination. So, can I get your attention? When you go back to your seats in the little baggies, I have many fish stickers. And then you can stick them, stick them, stick them, stick them around like that. When you go back to your seat, and then you'll have your own fishing net with fish and you can think of us being fishers of men when we share about Jesus now guys I really have always 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 wanted to know what it looks like to be fisher of men literally Jovi can I catch you please I'll be very gentle you want to be caught but if you're caught you're gonna have to be follower and do something more all right I'm coming one one, two, three. I caught two helpers. Out you go with me. On the <laughs> now, I have helpers. And everybody, let's get up because I am going to need everybody to sing with me. Now, Jovi and Jensen got caught. All right, so Jason, uh, Jensen and Jovi, come with me on stage. Roll, are you coming too? We can have up to three. All right, there you go. Let's spread up a little bit. There you go. And now, before we start with our song, I need everybody to look at me because it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a really good one. Okay, it goes like this. Cup your ear. Cup your ear. It says, don't merely listen to the word of God. That means don't only listen. Let's take your mom, for example. She tells you, pick up your toys. Then you listen. Then you roll your eyes and do nothing. Is that a good kid? Yes or no? No. What would a good kid be? What would the ki good kid do? 
get in trouble, but the good thing would be pick up the toys, do it, do it. Make a fist, make a fist, and then do it. Make a fist, and then do it. Come on, oh, come on guys, don't be shy. All right, and then we are going to sing exactly about that because we don't want to deceive ourselves. We don't want to tell ourselves a lie. Let's go, we're ready for the song. Exactly. So we're going to cup our ears like that. There you go. You're ready. All right, everybody. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do, do, do. Just do it. Do what it says. Just do it, do what it says, do what it says, Woo! Clap, there you go, you got it, wow. That whole section fish works. <laughs> do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourself. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourself. Woo! Do what it says, do, 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 just do it. Try this with me now. It goes like this. Do, 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 just do it. Do, 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 just do it. Do, 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 just do it. Do, 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 just do it. Do what it says. Do, 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 just do it. Do what it says. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Do what it says. Do, 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 just do it. Do what it says. Do what it says. Oh, clap. Just do it. All right, we're gonna do it one more time. Here we go. Do, 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 just do it. Do, 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 just do it. Do, 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 just do it. Do, 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 just do it. Good job. Good Grab your net. And come and pick a baggie and go back to your seat, you wonderful followers. You left a mess, but we'll pick it up later. So, as we're thinking about dealing with doubt, um, the thing that we, I think, can recognize out of even that children's time is the importance of being people uh, who know the Word of God. Because if we don't know the Word of God, how do we combat anything that comes our way? Uh, because we just hear it, but if we don't do it, then we deceive ourselves. And I think that's a, a, a very good segue into these, these uh, tools that, that will help us understand how Jesus taught the disciples and, uh, of John the Baptist and the, the people that he was preaching to in, in that uh, season as he's going through Galilee. He, he addressed them how to overcome their doubts. And the first thing he does is he refers to the truth of Scripture. So if we're going to confront doubt, we have to know the truth of the Word. So let's look at uh, Matthew 11, verses 4, 5, and 6. 
It says, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John, the Baptist, uh, John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, I, I was looking at these verses, and, and I, there, there was some uh, truth that was reminiscent to me. Like I was like, where are these, these scriptures coming from? And so my initial reaction is to turn in and look at my cross-references in my Bible. But I'm going to tell you that the, the ESV did not cross-reference these verses, and it was frustrating. So I was like, I know these are in Scripture somewhere. So I, I jumped in and started going through several commentaries just looking to see how I could trace these things. And sure enough, uh, several people were identifying these verses uh, in, in Isaiah in particular. And so I want to encourage you to do something. I'm going to take just a minute to, to uh, have you write these down. I would put these cross-references in your Bible right here. The first of, uh, one of them is Isaiah 29, 18. Okay, th these verses come from these key passages in Isaiah. So the first one is Isaiah 29, 18. The second one is Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6. And I'm going to actually read this one. Isaiah 35, 4 through 6, it says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, well, that, I think that's a, a good word, isn't it? Those who doubt or have anxiety, th does that describe what John the Baptist might have been dealing with? Stuck in prison, longing for something else, hoping to be re relieved and to be released and, and to have a new kingdom established? None of that's happening. Strength, uh, he says this, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold your God will come with vengeance, vengeance with recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And it keeps going. You see, what Jesus was preaching and teaching brought the followers of John back to those prophecies in Isaiah. And the third uh, reference, so we had Isaiah 29, 18, Isaiah 35, 4 through 6, and then Isaiah 61 one and following, which is the text that Steve read this morning in our invocation, which focuses what? On Jesus being the one who, pre who brings a transformation and hope. Let's, let's look at that passage as well, just to, to kind of bring a full context to this. Isaiah 61, one and following, it says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Do you see why Jesus might be referring to these things? He's saying, I am the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Do you understand how that message is specific for John the Baptist in this morning, uh, in this moment? Not in the, the sense of just having the prison doors open, but more specifically for the bondage of sin to be overcome because Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Messiah. Keep going. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You hear the hope of this message, the way to begin to overcome doubt is by knowing the truth of God's Word. Can, can I 
share an important like insight to my own life for just a minute. I don't know if you're like, like me in this, but I know the more time I spend in God's Word, the more truth is revealed, the more intimate I find myself in understanding and relationship with the Lord, and the more encouraged I am. But the, the time that I spend away from the Scripture, the more I feel dried up, the more I feel insecure about my relationship with the Lord and others, and the more easily I am swayed in life, tossed about. What, what, are we, what, what does that say to me? And, and I see the heads bobbing all over the place. We ought to be people of the Word. And here's the amazing thing to me. Christ is specifically related to the Word. John 1.1, right? As we, we think through that passage, He is clearly revealed it specifically through the Word, through the Scriptures. We need to be people of the Word, and not just the New Testament. I, I know it's easy just to land there, but we need to be intimate with the Old Testament as well. So when we come to a passage like this in Matthew 11, we go, there is something that ties us back. And we begin to see how God has revealed Himself through all of Scripture so that our doubt is overcome and our trust is in increased towards Christ and our faith is strengthened and our joy is increased and the list of positive things go on and on because the Word of God is what sets us apart from all people on the face of the planet as believers, right? It's what establishes us rightly in Christ, how we know Him. We've got to be people of the Word. So I was thinking about this real quickly this morning. Last week, I ended the message with a challenge just to take these commitment cards for 2021. And I don't know what you wrote on it. I'm not asking you to share those things. But I would guess that some of us had to, to write down, Lord, one of the commitments is this year I'll be in the Word more. Just a simple commitment. I think this, all of us need that commitment. We need to be people that are investing in a deep study and intimacy with the Lord through the study of the Word. So it's what will combat our doubt and, and overcome it. Second, look at this. The second answer that Jesus gives is, is this. We are to respond in a joyful submission, okay? Respond to the Lord in joyful submission. You might say, Matt, where in the world is that in the text? Look at verse 6. It's, it's an interesting verse. It said, where Jesus says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Have you ever noticed when you're offended by somebody, what, what is the natural response in, in when we take offense with somebody? We dismiss them, we become distrusting of them, we hold them at distance, at, you know, at, at best we might tolerate them. But, but what Jesus is getting at is blessed is the one who is not offended. So, so blessed is the one who does what? Joyfully submits. Because when we're in right relationship with someone, what do we do when we're given instructions? Or what do we do in response to, to that relationship? We respond well. We, we joyfully respond, right? That, that we say, that is good for me, and I'm going to do that well. Maya gave a simple illustration as she was getting in, ready to introduce the song, didn't she? When, when children are told to do something, like clean up the room or whatever, by their parents, right? The, better, the, the best response is to what? Yes, I'm going to do it and do it immediately, 
because we have this phrase in our house, delayed obedience is disobedience, okay? So it's not rolling your eyes and waiting, oh, mom, I'll get it, or oh, dad, I'll get it in 15 minutes. No, it's joyfully submitting so that we honor one another in those relationships. And when we respond in a different way than that, what happens? Well, offense creeps in, and then what happens? Parents got to go, well, I'm disciplining my child. Then the child is continuing to take, oh, I'm offended now because mom and dad disciplined me. That's not fair. You know, how many times we heard that, parents, you know? And, and the, the truth is, it's a result of their delayed obedience, which is disobedience. They didn't joyfully submit. If we would do these things rightly together, we would see a change in the relationships. And we would not, what, doubt the security that we have with one another. So when Christ is saying, blessed are those who are not offended by me, he's saying, listen, if you have a right relationship, you will joyfully submit to the truths that I am teaching. You will understand who I am and the freedom that I bring. Instead of resisting and, and hanging in, in, back in a way that says, I don't trust or I, I, I doubt all these things, I'm going to come under a right relationship with Christ, surrendering him because his yoke is easy, and his burden is light, and obedience to him brings blessing. Does that mean it's going to be easy, trial-free, stress-free? No, but the result is what he says, blessing, because we will be walking rightly with the Lord ultimately because of a joyful submission to him. So the second way to combat doubt is to joyfully submit to Christ. So let me, let me add one little caveat to this, okay? If, if we are thinking through what, what, the, what uh, John and, and his disciples were wrestling with, that they had these uh, uh, other expectations and that their doubt was increased and their perception was wrong, all of that joyful submission says, I am coming back to rightly correct myself in line with Christ. That is where the blessing is found, okay? Now, let's look at the, the third thing that Jesus does to combat doubt. This is a, a little bit more complex, so we're going to read a little bit more Scripture, and, and I hope that I can explain this clearly enough. So in verse 7, what we see is, and as they went away, who is they in that uh, passage right there in that verse? John's disciples, okay? So the first part of this message is to John's disciples, the followers of John, and they're going to go back to John in prison. They're going to share these things with him. But Jesus is now talking to those people in the cities of Galilee, whichever town he was in, and he's continuing to take the context of what he's just said, and he's going to put that into their worldview and their circumstances and situations because they're really no different than the followers of John. They're wondering what Jesus is, is dealing with, and they've got their own doubts, and he's going to address them. So he says, now, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John, and so he's giving the crowds like this testimony about John the Baptist. What, uh, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Uh, behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So he's running through this picture of who John the Baptist was. And he's saying, why did you go listen to him before uh, I came on the scene? He, you, you were curious and there's things uh, that he was sharing. What then you go at verse 9, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. So Jesus is saying, yes, John's a prophet, but there's even more about him that I want to, to, to us to recognize, and let's see what the, the importance of these truths. So verse 10, 
This is of he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So he's saying John the Baptist is, is that one who was preparing the way for me. Verse 11, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So he introduces this, this kind of contrast that John the Baptist is greatest, born of women, but if you're going to be born of the, or one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven, is even greater than John the Baptist. So that ought to pick, pick the interest of his hearers. How do I then become at least the great, the, 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 at least in the kingdom of heaven so I can be greater than John the Baptist? It's like this little teaser. I'm about to give you this answer for, for why you don't have to doubt and why you can hope. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. So look at verse uh, 12 now. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So Jesus is relating uh, this, this idea of John and Elijah and all these prophet, prophetic ties right there. Okay? And then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Now this is where it gets really interesting. He says, but to what shall I compare this generation? So Jesus is taking the history of John the Baptist, and he's bringing it right to this point, and he says, this generation, you guys right here, think about Jesus talking to this group in the city or town, and he's saying, this generation, you right here, there's something important for you to hear right now. And he says, what do I compare you to? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. Let me explain that. What would happen is that as the families would go to the marketplaces, there were two major events that would usually occur in the life of the public Jewish life. And those two major events would be celebrations like weddings or, or some kind of big party. And the other would be a funeral dirge where there would be mourners that would come in. And so the children, they learn to, to imitate those kind of activities. And so what they're saying is that you, you can imagine the children like acting around like they're playing flutes and the, 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 uh, it's a big celebration. And the friends are, hey, I'm going to play the flute. My friends are supposed to do what? Dance because it's part of the game. Or if we're playing this funeral march, you, know, you can hear like the somber march going through. They're supposed to be actually wailing and mourning and participating. But instead, it, it, let's say I say, okay, we're going to play the, the, the celebration dance. And I go, doo -doo 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 -doo. I wish I could really play a flute, but I can't. A flute would actually be like this, wouldn't it? Um, sorry. So uh, anyhow. So, and y'all all sat out there and you just looked at me like I was an alien from a foreign planet. You, 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 but you, you get the, the point, right? It's like you're disappointing me and you're being hypocritical. Or if I said, hey, let's play the dirge game, and you, you refuse to jump in. See, see, what's happening is the people are hearing these messages of John the Baptist and Jesus, and they're supposed to be listening and learning and following because they've had these truths revealed to them, but what are they doing? They're standing and holding off the truth, being critical. And, and they're not willing to participate in the truth with Christ and with John the Baptist and understanding the message. They're, they're basically supplanting the truth of what they're hearing with judgment, and they're showing a foolishness. Does that make sense? It, it, it's like so obstinate. And, and have you ever been there, parents, where you've had that child enter that moment where they're just 
obstinate, where, where they're just unwilling to do what's right. We, we had the great Lima Bean War with one of ours. He was about three, and he was, we, we sat down for dinner, and we were like, you've got to eat some lima beans, because Christian doesn't eat anything green on his plate, ever. Still at 22. It's like, no, no green. If you look at it, yes, some of the guys are like, we understand. He's, it's, it's crazy. But we were like, when he was young, we were like, we want you to eat these lima beans. And we were getting ready to go out on a date. So the babysitter comes in, and we're like, he's got to eat some of these lima beans. We're not asking him to eat all of them, but, but we, we've got to have him eat a couple lima beans. And Elizabeth was her name. Elizabeth looks at Christian, and she goes, Christian, aren't we going to have a good time? Why don't you eat some of those lima beans so we can go play? And guess what he does? Okay. We've been sitting there for like 30 minutes. You talk about obstinate. You know, and it's like we wanted him to have the freedom. We knew the benefits. One to the, the vegetables providing the vitamins and nutrients, right? And then we knew that if he would obey us, he would just be able to get up from the table and go on. And, and how frustrating was it for him not to do the dance? Follow me? Not to do what was right. And in that moment of obstinance, the relationship was destroyed. And we're doubting ourselves as parents. We're doubting how we're raising him. All these things come creeping in, right? Aren't we just that way with the Lord? Aren't we distrusting of truth at times? Don't we look at Scripture and go, I don't know, maybe there's a loophole I can get around with that. Oh, there, there's certainly ways that I can do other things than what that says. I, I can find ways to not do the dance right. And it really won't hurt my relationship because God is gracious and he is. But what does Romans 6 teach us? That we shouldn't use his grace as a license to go and sin, right? What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? By no means. See, see and that's where the, the way to overcome doubt to the crowd, to us, is to listen, to, to obey to, to recognize the fruit of righteous living, to exercise wisdom according to the Word of God. Look at, look at how Jesus continues this. He says in verse 18, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. See, see it's like the, criti the criticism. John wasn't doing right. He has a demon. And then they say the Son of Man. He came eating and drinking. They say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. <laughs> see, here are the false accusations. They're looking for the loopholes a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And what does Jesus conclude? Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Some translations say, yet wisdom is justified by her children. I think that's an interesting way that that word can be translated because wisdom is proven by what? What comes out of her, okay? The fruit of wisdom is, is what I would say. Deeds of children, you see how those are the... the the outworking of wisdom. When we walk in wisdom, it overcomes doubt and it provides us security. It, it, walking wisely with the Lord, it transforms us in every way. But how many of us, this is to me the prophetic warning of Jesus right here, how many of us would rather be critical from a distance, not participating in the things of God, than jumping in wholeheartedly, following him with zeal and passion so that we find out 
how wisdom works out perfectly. You, you, you get the message? How many of us need to respond in joyous submission to the truth with a, an intentionality to rightly do what Jesus has called us to do with wisdom? Instead of sitting back and going, I'm not, I'm not going to dance. I'm going to watch from afar. Folks, to me, this is a great message for 2021. What a great way to begin the year. Are we going to be all in following the Lord? That's the simple truth of the matter. Are we going to be all in following the Lord hard so that our doubts and our insecurities and our anxieties and our limited perceptions are all overcome because of who He is? It's simple. It's really simple. But we've got to be obedient in it. We've got to respond rightly. And I dare say there's two kinds of responses for this message. The first is this. Some of us, under the hearing or sound of my voice, may not truly be followers of Christ. I get it. I was there. I want to encourage you. Understand that Jesus, and Perry mentioned it earlier this morning, but Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin so that we might, uh, and he rose from the dead, so that we might surrender to him as Lord and Savior, trusting his work, to accomplish what we could not do on our own. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is, is a great passage that speaks to that. It says, by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not our own doing. It's not by our works so that we cannot boast. That's a little bit of a paraphrase. But the point is, we cannot save ourselves. It is simply the work of Christ. So we respond to His grace through faith, saying, Jesus, I need for you to become my Savior, that you are, but I need to surrender to you so that I can have that kind of life and freedom from sin. For those of us who already know that, there's still a responsibility for us to respond, and I think it's this, that we are all in. We've been talking about that as a church lately, that we would be people that joyously surrender to the truth of God's Word, and we in, invest in ministry, not, not withholding from the dance, but we watch wisdom work out in our lives. My encouragement, my challenge to, to us as a church body of believers is how are we going to do that this year? So I want to do this. We're going to pray. I want you to just bow your heads right where you are, and I want to ask you to respond to the Holy Spirit's leading right now. If you know that you're not a follower of Christ, I would ask you this. What would prevent you for today from following Christ in faith? And, and I'm not asking you to come walk the aisle or anything like that, but what I am asking is that you would carefully consider seeking out counsel about your place of, of spiritual journey and walk, that you would not leave today without talking to maybe your parent, maybe it's a grow group leader, maybe it's uh, a, another adult that you know in the church that, that you can trust and that they could give you counsel about knowing that you are secure in your relationship with Christ. For other, to others of us in the church, I would just ask this question, is there something that's causing doubt? Is there something that's causing doubt in your life about your relationship with the Lord or your obedience to Him in ministry? Will you confess that? And then will you begin to uh, commit today to walk through these simple principles to be shored up against that doubt, to be encouraged so you can be sanctified in how the Lord wants you to grow and be secure in your relationship with Him? So I'm going to be quiet and let you do business with the Holy Spirit.
Heavenly Father, this morning we are so grateful for your word, for the truth of it. And, and as importantly as the truth of it, Lord, it expresses to us the glory of Jesus Christ, the perfection by which he ministered, uh, the, the wisdom that he uh, shared as he, as he taught. And Lord, in his words are the words of life. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And today, Lord, we are grateful that we have these truths that we can learn from, that meet us right where we are, and they establish hope and security for us. And today, Lord, I especially pray that as we begin this new year, 2021, that you would call us in specific ways, Lord, to obedience, to joyous surrender, and submission to Jesus, because in him is, is life, and that life is abundant. And so, Father, I, I just ask that as we um, continue to, to stride with you in, in our church life together and personal lives, Lord, that we would certainly be people of the word and you would be honored by all that we do together. Lord, we pray these things for your sake and your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.